Before, no, that doesn't count. We don't, we don't, no. Well done to you, but uh, all right. Well, my name's Andrew, like I say, I'm one of the pastors, and it's great to have you with us. Uh, we have uh, sensed uh, at the start of this year uh, a call from God towards greater intimacy with Him. And uh, uh, the sort of idea that you know, as much as we love gathering like this on a Sunday and coming into God's atmosphere and His presence here, and we'll continue to do this on a Sunday, that God has actually so much more for us. Uh, that coming into a community like this, into the atmosphere of God in a room like this, is not the end point of what God wants for you. It's actually the catalyst for you to push beyond just a, a feeling of God into a deeper and more personal, personal intimacy with Him. And that's everything that's on our heart for the vine this year. And so this is your home church. If this is what you're a part of, we want to help facilitate in our times together uh, this movement from just the atmosphere of God to a living and active faith with the the very person of God. And last week in week two, I, I, I mentioned that there are two critical traps, really important you hear this, two critical traps that Christians fall into when it comes to the intimacy of God, and that actually limits their ability to be in intimacy with God. Last week, I spoke about the first of those traps, and it's the trap of building our relationship with God primarily on other people's opinions, other people's perspectives, other people's ideas, even other people's intimacy with God, that we end up building our relationship with Jesus, not on a direct relationship with Him, but on everybody else's relationship with Him. Is that that make sense? And, and what happens is we end up building this relationship with Jesus off of everybody else's perspectives and opinions by what we read, what we hear, what we download, what we whatever. And those things are good, of course. There's nothing wrong with learning from others. So much of our Christian faith is about learning from others. But when that is the primary posture of our relationship with Jesus, that we're only building a relationship with him based on what everybody else says, then what ends up happening is what I said last week. You will end up worshiping a second-hand Jesus. You will end up having a borrowed faith. You're worshiping somebody else's experience of Jesus. And if we truly want to move into deeper intimacy with him this year, what I said last week is resonant for us this week. We have to trade rumor of God for first-hand faith. See, rumor of God, other people's perspectives and opinions, is not intimacy. And we need to move from just rumor of God, as helpful as that can be for us, and, and as helpful as it can be for our theology, and great that it can be for us to learn and grow in Christ, all of that is good. But we need to move from just rumor to first-hand faith. That was last week. That was the first critical trap. I want to talk today about the second critical trap that has the power to limit your ability to be in intimacy with Christ. And to introduce that to you, I need to talk to you about a funeral. I came on staff here at The Vine 15 years ago. And I came straight out of Bible school. I'd studied in Bible school. I'd had a career in banking prior to going to Bible school. At the age of 30, I went to Bible school for four years. And then off the back of Bible school, I came here to the Vine and uh, became a part of the pastoral team. And of course, back in those days, there was other senior pastors. Uh, senior pastors, John and Tony, were leading the church at that time. 
In uh, about the first month that I am on staff, an emergency uh, funeral uh, comes up. There is a shocking uh, death within our community. Uh, somebody passed away that uh, nobody expected would happen. Uh, and it meant that we had to do this uh, sudden funeral for this family. Uh, and it just so happened that John and Tony uh, were not available to attend or to run this funeral. So the funeral came to me. And to tell you uh, that I was terrified is an understatement, okay? Uh, Bible school is great. Bible school gives you a lot of information about God. It helps you to study the Word of God. I love my time in Bible school. What Bible school doesn't do is help you to prepare for a funeral, okay? Some people feel like it's their funeral at Bible school, but um, anyway, that's a whole different story. But it doesn't help prepare you to help a family walk through some of the hardest times of their lives. And so I was terrified. I, I was so green in my experience in this area, but I did all the right things, right? So I, I prayed about it. I met with the family, and uh, we grieved together. Uh, we talked about how uh, they wanted the memorial to go, the flow of the memorial. Uh, on the day of the memorial itself, my heart was beating really hard. I was super sweaty and nervous. Um, I was praying that only 20 people would show up, so it would be nice and small and easy to handle. Uh, over 300 people came to this particular memorial. Uh, this guy was, was, was well-known in his company. He was well-known in Hong Kong. Uh, and so uh, there was a lot of people there at the memorial, uh, and uh, I did a terrible job uh, through the memorial. Uh, but it got to the point of the eulogies. And uh, we had arranged that four people were going to give a eulogy about this person. Uh, and, and those four people were friends and colleagues of him and uh, family as well. And so each person got up and, and did what a eulogy is supposed to do, right? They get up and they talked about their relationship with this person. And uh, as people were talking, and they were so beautiful, these eulogies, so articulate. Every single person just did a phenomenal job in doing these eulogies. But I noticed along the way that there was a pattern to what I was hearing in the eulogies. And the pattern was that everybody was speaking about all of the things that this person had done for them. And they were just so overwhelmed with gratitude for what this person had done in their lives. For some, it had been that he had been their mentor in the office and had helped them to get promotions through the company. Uh, for others, it was generosity. This person had been super generous to them, and they had received that generosity and were so grateful for it. For others, it was just the benefits of, of, of receiving hospitality in their home and, and welcoming them into their home. Every single person talked about all the amazing things that this guy had done for them, had benefited them with, had blessed them with, or, or some of the crazy great achievements that he had done in the world. And I sat there and I thought to myself, this is what I want at my funeral. I thought, how amazing would it be if whenever it is that I die, that a whole, people, a whole bunch of people gather in a room and talk about all the things that I had done for them, all the things that I had achieved for them, all the things that I had blessed them with, that I had, I had done for them on their behalf, my generosity, my love, my support, my prayers, whatever it might be. I was like, this is what surely you would want at a funeral. Well, after the four eulogies had finished, the wife gets up. And as she gets up and walks towards the microphone, the whole room like, was just totally silent. And there was this huge amount of respect in the room for what this woman was going through. And she gets and stands there in front of everybody, and for ages, she doesn't say anything. She's just overwhelmed with emotion, which you can understand. And you can see the emotion in her face. And this went on for quite some time, and I, I, was, I was at the point where I was thinking, do I need to get up and come alongside of her and, and help her? And, 
And just as I'm kind of thinking that maybe that's what I need to do, she moves her hand up towards the microphone and her hand is shaking because she's so emotional. And the sense I had was she had a prepared speech, but she doesn't want to give the prepared speech. And she grabbed the microphone and she said this. She said, I just miss him. I just miss him. And it was like the perfect thing to say. Because everybody else had said that they had missed what he had done for them. They missed his hospitality or his generosity or the fact that he was a mentor for them. And no doubt that this woman had received more from her husband than anyone else. She had received more benefit, more provision. He had done some amazing things for her and her family, I am absolutely sure. But she stood before everybody and she said, you want to know the one thing? I just miss him, not the, not the things of him, not the activities that he did, not all the great achievements that he made in his life. I just miss being with him. And in that moment, I saw a picture of what true intimacy is. Because everybody else in that room had a relationship with this person, but that room, that woman in the room, she was the one who was intimate with him. And she just missed him. And as we start this year of intimacy here at the Vine, I think there's an absolutely critical question that we all need to sit with and wrestle with, and it's this. That in your relationship with God, is it built on the things of God or on the person of God? Say that again. Is your relationship with God, as you start this year, largely, primarily built on the things of God or on the person of God? Because let's be honest with ourselves. The wonderful thing about being a Christian is that we get to worship our God, that he's a God who's a good father, who loves to pour out his blessings on his people. He loves to fill us with his gifts and his spirit and his love and his goodness. We just sung that song. He's been good to us. We love the reality that we worship a God who, who out of the kindness and the, the generosity of his heart, wants you to flourish as best you can in your life. He wants to come along and, and bless you and secure you and grow you and do all the things that he can do to make your life the best thing that it can ever be. But here's the reality. When that is so much the focus of our relationship, that, that we build our relationship with God on the things that he does for us, you put yourself at the center of that relationship. It's then becoming a little bit more about you than it is about him. And secondly, your emotions are actually now linked not to the person of God, but to what he does for you. Follow this. I, I found this so much in my life. There was a season where I realized that if God was blessing me, if God was answering my prayers, if he was coming through for me in the ways that I was hoping he would come through for me, then I felt loved and accepted by him. But in the seasons where it goes a bit silent, in the seasons where the blessings weren't there, in the seasons where it felt like God was quite distant from me, I was disappointed and angry, and I felt lack of intimacy with him. Are you with me? 
And the reality is, for all of us, when we're in this kind of approach in our relationship with God, we have to wrestle with the reality that so often we actually build the foundation of whether we're loved or accepted by God by what he does for us, rather than just purely who he is. And what ends up happening for all of us is that our intimacy with God is actually not an intimacy with him, but it's an intimacy with the things of him. When your intimacy is built on the things of God and not God himself, that is idol worship. God had to come to me a few years ago in one of my quiet times and say this to me. He said, would you rather have me or my blessings? I think that's a deeply challenging question. Would you rather have me or my blessings? And and I find this deeply challenging because I know from my own personal life that I am attracted to the burning bush, but often I don't see beyond the flames to the God behind the bush. I'm, I'm attracted to the benefits of God. I'm I'm attracted to the things of God, what God can do for me, the the blessings that come upon me, the the things that that I know that his mighty hand can provide for me. I'm, I'm attracted to those things, and I find myself drawing near to God because of my attraction to the benefits of being in relationship with God, but I find myself rarely taking off my sandals and stepping onto holy ground and communing with him. And when that's the case, we've got an issue. And I think this is not just my problem. I think it's our problem. And I think in a year of intimacy with him, we have to wrestle with this reality deep inside each one of us. It's easy for us to be attracted to the benefits of God. But when your primary intimacy with him is based out of what he does or doesn't do for you, your relationship with him will be like this all the time. And Paul would write to the church, and he would say, I know what it is to be hungry, and I know what it is to be fed. I know what it is to be shipwrecked, and I know what it is to be safe. I know what it is to be wealthy, I know what it is to be poor. I've experienced the blessings, and I've experienced the seasons without the blessings, but I have learned the secret of being content. No matter what might be happening, no matter what God might be doing, no matter what blessings or not blessings might happen in my life, I've learned what it is to be intimate with him because I'm not basing the relationship that I have on Jesus by what Jesus does for me. I think we all have to recognize that the reality for many of us is that we want more from God, but not necessarily more of God. Come on, church. Hi. Everybody okay? We have this thing where we want more from God, what he can do for us, but we don't necessarily want more of God, our relationship with him, and we're happy to have all the benefits of relationship with Jesus without any of the responsibility. A few years ago, my absolute singular obsession in life was to get to silver class on Cathay Pacific. It was my absolute obsession to get from the green card that you get when you just buy a ticket to the silver card. Oh, sweet Jesus on high. If you could just get me lounge access, I would love Cathay for the rest of my life. 
That would be amazing. Now, I recognize some of you in this room watching online in the overflow, you have diamond status with <laughs> Cathay Pacific. I recognize that. You have diamond status, yes, because you fly a lot, but you also have diamond status because you probably work for a large multinational company that buys your tickets in business class at the highest amount of price possible so that you can have the greatest amount of flexibility possible, which means you earn the most miles possible and the biggest sector points possible, and it's the sector points that actually help you to get the status. <laughs> However, I work for a church. And you, if you tithe here at the Vine, you'll be very happy to know that if I could fly in cargo class, the church would put me in cargo class, okay? Um, <laughs> I am so far back in economy, they basically should just put me in a suitcase, okay? My secretary, Veronica, she is phenomenal at finding the cheapest economy class fares on Cathay Pacific that is absolutely possible. And from a governance perspective, for all of you, that's a really good thing. But what it means for me is that it's really hard to earn sector points and miles on Cathay Pacific. When you pay peanuts, you get monkeys, okay? <laughs> and so for two years, I had this obsession that I was going to get myself to silver status, you know? And so every flight I took, whether personal or with work, I was on Cathay Pacific. Uh, I actually got one of the American Express Cathay Pacific cards so that every time I went to a restaurant, I earned more points. If you could have flown Cathay from Kowloon to Central, I would have flown Cathay Pacific. <laughs> I didn't particularly like Cathay Pacific more than any other airline. Sorry, Ken. Ken's in the overflow. I love you, Ken. I, it was just, it was our national carrier. It was the easiest airline, and it was having the best benefits, and... I cannot describe to you what the moment was like when I got the letter in the mail with the silver card inside it. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, you know, it comes with a, like, a little tag that you're supposed to put on your luggage. Nobody puts the tag. I put the tag on my luggage. I wanted everybody in the airport to know that I had earned my silver status on Cathay Pacific. I remember the first flight, the next flight I was on Cathay. I remember going to Kai Tak. Uh, no, it was Chet Blackcock at the time. I went to Chet Blackcock. I was there four hours early because I'm going to make that buffet pay uh, in the lounge. <laughs> I went into that lounge with my silver card out, like super proud. I'm like, where is the food? Give me the food. I dominated that food. I basically paid back for two years of flights on that buffet alone. Well, you can probably guess what happens. A year later, I haven't flown enough to keep my status on Cathay Pacific. A year later, I get an, a mail, and the letter says, hey, congratulations, you are green card now. <laughs> and I'm like, hang on a sec. After spending all those years and time and energy and everything I did on Cathay Pacific to get myself into the lounge with my silver card, then I didn't fly enough in that year post that to earn enough miles to stay in that status. And suddenly I dropped down to green and basically Cathay was dead to me. I wasn't interested in Cathay after that. I couldn't care less, whatever. If they're not going to treat me well, then I am not bothered. Here's the point. Some of you in this room, you are on a frequent flyer program with God, and you're wondering why you're struggling to find intimacy with him. Because your whole relationship with him is based on the benefits of being in relationship with him. And when those benefits are good, you're super happy. You're happy to fly God Airlines when things are going well for you. But when things don't go well, 
particularly when you thought you earned the miles, but the miles were not actually enough. When you thought you put on all that spiritual work to get yourself into a better relationship with him, when you thought you had prayed harder for that thing than you had prayed for anything else, and yet God didn't answer that prayer, you want a discount. You, you, you struggle, and we struggle with this up and down relationship with God based surely on all of this process. And, and we have to recognize that when we base our relationship with God on the benefits of God, we've stepped into idol, idolatry. I would say it this way. The greatest idolatry in the church today is the idol worship of the benefits of God. It is seeking God or pursuing him primarily for what he can do for us rather than simply for who he is. It is mistaking blessing for intimacy. There's nothing wrong with the blessings of God. Don't hear me wrong today. There's nothing wrong with the fact that God loves to pour out his heart. He wants to pour out himself to you. His blessings are abundant for you. But when we get seduced by the blessings of God and we allow that to become the primary focus for us, the primary thing that helps us to feel whether we're in relationship with God or not, helps us to feel whether God is pleased with us or not. And this is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna preach on this one for a second. There's some of us here, and I put myself in this camp sometimes, where we actually put our, whether, we're, whether God is pleased with us or not based on whether we receive his blessings or not. You need to understand that the blessings of God are not the marker of whether God is pleased with you, nor is it actually the proof that you're in a good relationship with him. In fact, there are many examples in the Bible where because of God's generosity and because of God's love and because of how God sees his people, he's pouring out his blessings when his people are far from him, when his people couldn't care less. When his people aren't in some intimate relationship with him, God is still blessing them. We saw this recently in our Exodus series. If you're a part of the vine over last year, we went through the book of Exodus, and we saw there that there was this moment where because of their unfaithfulness, Israel's unfaithfulness, because they didn't trust God with the promised land, God made them wander in the desert for 40 years. God wasn't pleased with them in that moment. There wasn't, there wasn't this deep relationship that God had freed them out of their slavery for in that moment. Israel was walking in the opposite spirit. They were actually worshiping other idols in the land at that time. But every single day of those 40 years, God in his miracle working heart blessed them with manna from heaven that kept them alive. Every single day. Every single day, he poured out the blessings of God on his people, even when their relationship was not in a healthy place. And some of us here, we are basing the health of our relationship with God on whether we're receiving his blessings or not. And if you do that, you're going to have a very difficult time of being intimate with him. There's going to be some challenges for you. Because there will be seasons where you will feel those blessings, but there will also be seasons when you don't. And your intimacy, and whether God is pleased with you, or whether even you're in a right relationship with him, is not because he's answering your prayers, or he's giving you that promotion at work, or he's helping solve that thing in your family. It's simply because he loves you. He loves you. And your intimacy with him cannot be based on what he does or doesn't do for you in your perspective. It has to be based in who he is, regardless of what might happen for you. This is not a new issue for the church, so if we're struggling with this, well, it's not a new issue. In fact, in the Gospel of John, in uh, around about chapter 6, 
there is this amazing moment where Jesus does this incredible miracle. He's up on a mountain and he's just taught the people and the Sea of Galilee is just in front. And the people have been there all day listening to him teach and the disciples come to him and say, hey, the people are hungry and we can't send them away without any food. And Jesus says, well, what have you got? And they say, well, we've only got a couple of loaves and fishes. Jesus takes them, he prays for them, he blesses them. The disciples start handing them out and they feed the whole 5,000 people. Just these little bit of resource in God's hands can achieve so much. And God, through Jesus, sends out his blessing to all of these 5,000 people. Some of them who were poor people that were living in the Galilee area at that time, who probably hadn't had a big meal that whole week. People who were vulnerable and poor, they're now being fed by just a few loaves and a few fishes. And God's heart for blessing is so abundant and so outpouring that the Bible tells us that leftovers were there after everybody had said, well, hold on, I can't take any more, right? Everybody said, like, I am totally stuffed. There's still uh, leftovers there because God is saying, this is my heart for pouring out my blessings. I will pour them out so much on my people that there will be even an abundance and leftover from those blessings. It's a beautiful thing. The next day, perhaps not surprisingly, the people who had been fed the day before, they show up back where Jesus had been the day before because they want to get fed again. They want to experience that again. But interestingly, Jesus is not there. Let me pick up the story at that point. Is this helping some people here? No. Okay. <laughs> Matthew, uh, John chapter 6, starting in verse 24. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him there. They found him on that other side of the lake, and they asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Like, what's going on? We're trying to find you. When did you get here? Verse 26, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. Jesus sometimes didn't win friends or influence people. Sometimes Jesus got right to the heart of the matter. And all these crowds showed up again. And they're like, where have you been, Jesus? We've been looking for you. We want to be with you. And he's like, the only reason we want to be with me is because I fed you yesterday, but you didn't see beyond the burning bush to the God that's behind the flames. You didn't understand the miraculous sign that was there, that this is actually not about the fact that I can feed your stomachs for a few hours. It's about the fact that God is present with you, that the Messiah has come, that you're being welcomed into a new relationship that will change your heart and change your life. Jesus is saying, you gotta see behind the blessings, but what's happened is you've gotten so focused on the blessing that you've forgotten about the blesser. You're so into the gift that you're not even thinking about the giver. And you just want to come to me because I'm giving to you. And you're coming to me dependent on what I'm giving to you. And he's saying, you've got to see bigger than that. This is really important because I think it picks up on a point that resonates for so many of us. And it's, it's this. When we're obsessed with the, the blessings of God and we're building our intimacy with him primarily on what he does or doesn't do for us, that is primarily a self-centered way of being. That's about what God can do for me. Let me make this really clear. God does not exist so you can use him. Jesus is not a good luck charm that you wear around your neck to get a couple of blessings this week. Selfishness sits at the very heart of why we want more from God than more of God. Selfishness. Self-centeredness. If you want to deepen your intimacy with God this year, that's something to pray about. 
That's something to come around and say, where is the selfishness, self-centeredness in me when it comes to my relationship with him? It's really important you understand that Jesus died so that he would deliver us from a self-centered life and bring us into a God-centered life. That's why Jesus went to the cross. That's, that's the biggest blessing that there could ever be. The, the reality of our salvation in him, the forgiveness of our sins, so that we would reorientate our lives away from give me, give me, give me, to how do I serve? How do I honor? How do I worship? How do I adore? How do I give my whole self to the fact that now my life revolves around God, whereas before God was revolving around me? And if I'm honest with you here at the Vine, I would say for some of us in this room, watching online right now, in the overflow, for some of us, we're in the center and God is revolving around us. That's not intimacy. That's self-centered idolatry. Jesus says this to them. He says, don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. In other words, if we're going to talk about blessings, Jesus is saying to the crowd... We're going to talk about blessings. Let's actually not focus on temporal blessings that help for a moment. Let's talk about eternal blessing. Let's talk about the real blessing that matters. The one about you and your soul. The one about your relationship for eternity. The one that's going to form and shape you forever. Let's get our hearts focused on the eternal and off of just the temporal. Again, not that God doesn't care about your temporal situation. Not that he doesn't want to pour out his heart on you. Not that he doesn't want to bless you. Of course he does. But he doesn't want your focus to be so much on the immediacy of a blessing that you miss the longevity of your relationship with him. Notice how the people reply, the crowds reply. This was not what they were expecting to hear. They replied in verse 28, we want to perform God's works too, so what should we do? This is always the inevitable result that happens when we have a self-centered and mostly a benefits of God relationship with him. Here's what will always happen. We will always want to take control of those benefits. We will always want to shape our lives around those benefits. And in order to do that, we will try to grasp a hold of them. We will try to get those benefits in our hands. They turn to Jesus and they say, tell us what we need to do to be able to do the things that you've done for us. We want to take the blessings of God and we want to be the ones that are in control of those blessings. We want to be the ones that can feed ourselves and our families whenever we want to. We want to be able to bless our community. And there was probably some good in their hearts when they were saying this to Jesus, but their thinking is faulty because they're basing it off of this kind of reciprocal sort of relationship with God rather than a a relationship with him which just puts him first. And they're saying, okay, how do we get the ability to control these things? In other words, they're basically saying, how do we earn the miles? What do we need to do? What's the credit card we need to get? What's the flights that we need to book? How do we get ourselves up on status with you, God, so that we can do the things that you do? Jesus says this in response. Verse 29, Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. I'm going to read that again. This is the only work that God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. In other words, the only thing he wants from you is to believe in him, to connect with him, to have relationship with him. Does he want to bless you? Absolutely he does. Does he want to pour out his gifts into your life? 100%. Are those gifts good for you? Yes, they are. 
Do they change our relationship with him in some ways? Do we feel his closest to us when we receive those gifts? Of course we do. But what Jesus is trying to do for the crowds, I think what he's trying to do for us is elevate us into a different plane where our relationship is not dependent on whether we we feel like we're being blessed by God, but our relationship is simply in the belief, in the confession, in the repentance, in the living out of an honest and real relationship with Jesus. When we can echo with Paul, I know what it is to be this, and I know what it is to be that, but I have found the secret of being content that we could echo with that woman at the funeral and say, I just miss him. I just miss him. Not all the things he did for me. Him. If my wife, Chris, gave me a gift, which she does every once in a while, she gave me a gift, and I took that gift, and I threw it away just to focus on her, I wouldn't be honoring her in the giving of that gift. And so when God blesses you, he's not asking you to throw it away and ignore it. His blessings are good for you. Does that make sense? And you receiving those blessings and walking in those blessings in your life is a way of honoring and worshiping him. Equally though, if my wife gave me a gift and I was like, I am so in love with this gift that I walk away from her, that I make all my time and my effort, my passion on the gift and I don't even think about the person who gave me that gift, then that is also equally wrong. Are you you with me? Both of those extremes are wrong and the reality is, as Christians, we so live often between one of those two extremes. But what if my wife gave me a gift and I was so honored by that and I loved the gift and and I enjoyed the gift, but then I allowed that gift not to make me self-centered in who I am and walking off and ignoring her, but actually using that gift to fill me with a greater love, a greater desire, a greater need to be intimate with her and to realize that the gift is not the sum total of who she is for me, but it's just the catalyst that can bring me out of myself back to her in relationship with her. Are you with me? It's about getting the direction of God's blessing. Some of you in action from this message, all you need to do is reorientate your thinking about the blessings of God. They are not a sign of whether he's pleased with you or not. They're an ability for you to connect better with him. To not take it all into the gift and think the gift is everything, but to allow the gift to move. Another way of saying it is, God's gifts are not God's, but they are God's. All right, that's tricky in English. Have a look at it on the screen here. God's gifts in your life are not deities. They're not God's to be worshipped, but they are God's. They are an expression of his character, of his goodness, and how much he loves you. And when you get that in the right balance, when you stop worshipping the benefits of God and actually start to worship him, realizing that those benefits and those gifts are a trigger for you to be in deeper and more personal relationship with him, you come to realize that the gifts are actually not bad, not something you should throw away. They're triggers for you to connect with him more. They're invitations for you to find him. And in the seasons where you don't have those gifts, it's not like he's not inviting you to be intimate with him. He's just letting you know that his intimacy and your intimacy with him is not dependent on what he does for you every single day. I love the way that Psalm 37 verse 4 puts it. It says this. It says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
Notice the order there. It doesn't say delight in the desires of your heart and all that God has done for you and then try to find him. It's saying delight in the Lord with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And and, and then everything else will be there. It's like Jesus in Matthew 6. He says those amazing things. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. Everything else will be given to you. I want to give you all those things, but seek first me. Here's the reality. When our intimacy is based primarily with the benefits of God, here's what happens. We end up seeking the blessings of God in hope that we would, through receiving the blessings, actually find God. But it's the other way around. We need to seek God, and in finding God, we will come to receive his blessings. Do you follow that? I think so often we seek the blessing as a defining characteristic of who God is. We think we're going to find God out of the blessing. God is saying, seek me first. And all these other things will be added unto you. I just miss him. There's another beautiful psalm. I'll close with this. There's this beautiful psalm, Psalm 131, verse 2. I want to read this to you because this is really important. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself, the psalmist writes, like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. He's talking about his soul, and he's saying, I've matured. I've grown up, and, and my soul is now weaned before you. And in that place, I find myself at rest. I find myself with you like I've never found you before. It's a beautiful picture here of a, a child. And in the picture, there's a, there's a child nursing with its mother. And, and if you're a mother in this room or if you've been a mother in this room, you'll, you'll know what this is like. When you've got a child who's nursing at your breast, uh, the child knows that that's where it goes to for its milk. And if you, it, the child is near you, it starts screaming. It starts crying out. It wants its milk. It wants its provision. Its primary relationship with its mother at that point when it's nursing is this mother can do something for me. And when the mother doesn't do that, it screams, it cries, it lashes out. And the psalmist is using that as a picture, and he's saying, I want to be a nursed child. I want to be a weaned child, sorry, not a nursing child when it comes to God. I want to be one who finds myself still and alive in him because I'm not sort of kicking and screaming when God doesn't do what I want God to do. I want to find myself quiet in that rest, knowing that just like a weaned child, I can crawl up to my mother. This is what a weaned child does, comes to its mother now, and and the child trusts the mother. It's not kicking and screaming anymore. It trusts that the mother will provide at the right time. It wants to just be with its mother for the comfort and security of lying in its mother's arms, no longer screaming for the milk from the breast. And the psalmist is pulling all this picture together, and he's saying this. You need to wean yourself. Last week I spoke about gleaning. This week I'm finishing talking about weaning. Some of you in this room, you need to wean yourself off of your codependency for the blessings of God. You need to go from a, a nursing child with God to a weaned child who can say, it is all right with my soul, whether God does anything else for me ever again, whether he answers a prayer or not, whether he comes through or not, and I hope he does, and I really hope he does, but the reality is my whole relationship with him is not dependent on what he's going to do for me. It is dependent on the fact that he is just who he is, and I trust him. I trust that he will nurture me, care for me, provide for me, answer the prayers. I trust that, but I'm not going to kick and scream and get angry when it doesn't feel like it's happening because I am weaned from him and that dependency of being on those things. I am not connected to them 
in a codependency state. Does that, does that make sense to you? And so I want to invite you. If this is a year of intimacy for you, this is a year of freedom. And the blessings of God are good and great, and we should hunger for them and desire them, absolutely. But may we not build our relationship with God based on what we do or do not receive from Him. May we build our relationship with Him, finding ourselves quietened in our soul before Him, because we just want Him. That, my friends, is true intimacy. Should we pray? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for each person here. Father, I thank you for your love. And I thank you that you see them. And I thank you, Lord, that your heart is a good father. And that you long to pour out your blessings, your gifts. And there are so many great benefits of being in relationship with you. Lord, we are so grateful that we worship you and not some other idol in our lives. We thank you for the blessings that you pour out so abundantly that there are leftovers at a feast. We thank you that you pour out those blessings on us abundantly with a generous wrist. But Lord, we ask that you would forgive us. Forgive us where we've taken the good things of God and we've turned them into gods themselves. Forgive us where at times we've become codependent on the blessings. Forgive us where we've made the blessings the signal to us, the barometer of our health of our relationship with you. Forgive us where those blessings have become more important to us than simply you. Lord, if we're in this room watching online in the overflow and we know that our intimacy with you is primarily based on what we receive from you. Lord, we pray for maturity for us this year. We pray that you would mature this church. You would mature each person here. You would help us to find Paul's words echoing in our hearts. I have learned the secret of being content, whether there are blessings or not. I just want him. Take a moment for yourself now. Just a moment between you and God. Off the back of everything I've been sharing, how does he want to speak to you today? What is it that you might need to confess? How is your relationship built with him? I believe he wants to draw near to you now and just have a conversation directly with you. And so we're going to make some space for that before we respond together in worship. So take some time. Just quieten your heart. Bring your soul to him. Ask him to speak to you.